What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. And today, very excited for you guys to get to listen to the head coach of Tallahassee Community College, Zach Satembre. Uh, very excited for you guys to hear what he's got to say. Last year, that his team, uh, they won 23 games. They put nine guys Division One basketball and had the possibility of two more still going uh, Division One. Uh, they're bringing in a great class. So we're talking about him, uh, his unconventional rise. Uh, to being the head coach at under 30 um, at Tallahassee, the, the success that they've had, the philosophies, and, and, and talking about the team next year and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a really good talk, really excited for you guys to listen uh, to what he has to say and stuff. But before we get into it, I ask that you please go ahead and subscribe to this channel uh, to continue to get we, we will be sending out. Uh, right now we're putting out a, a podcast today, every single day for the uh, Monday through Friday. Um, got a ton of people lined up and very excited for you guys to listen to that. So if you would go ahead and subscribe to the channel, if you would – uh, please go ahead and rate us five stars and uh, let us know in the comments uh, what you enjoyed, what you liked about this, uh, this uh, podcast. And if you enjoyed what Zach had to say, please feel free to share it across your platforms as well. But without further ado, Tallahassee Community College head coach Zach Satembre on the Absolute Basketball Podcast with Jamie Shaw. Thank you guys very much. What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. Very excited today to have the head coach of Tallahassee Community College, Zach Satembre here. With us today, Zach, how's it going? It's going great, man, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the first things first, what's on the tip of everybody's tongues with no basketball being played or anything like that was the Jordan documentary. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. I was locked in. Absolutely. What, what were your thoughts? Honestly, the, the thing I took more from anything was his competitive fighting spirit, mm -hmm. right? He was – you know, the, I don't know if it was episode six or seven, but he's shown in that two-minute clip that was viral on Twitter yeah. about his competitive spirit, about pulling people to win when they didn't necessarily want to be pulled. And I think that's part of overcoming any kind of adversity, especially in a team setting. There are always going to be folks that are a little bit more hesitant to jump on board right away. And success is not easy. If it was, more people would have it, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes sacrifice. There's no growth without suffering. We tell our guys all the time. And I I thought it was really, really remarkable how you know, it wasn't the season that they had wasn't without its ups and downs. They mm -hmm. had some controversy. They had some things they had to deal with. You know, people don't understand in any organization, sports, business, whatever the industry may be, sometimes it's not quite as, as simple and easy as it looks on the outside, right? Because there are always things going on behind closed doors. But I, Michael Jordan's a guy that was special and unique because of his killer assassin mentality, a guy that loved to challenge and loved the, the, you know, the competitive spirit of, of the NBA. But I will tell you, too, like watching him come from a guy that was, you know, very humble beginnings, you know, had a career at North Carolina where he, he took off, you know, he took over and took off pretty quickly as a freshman. But he wasn't some huge, huge name. I mean, it took him a while to kind of get some traction, obviously a totally different era in the 80s uh, than the social media world that we live in today. Uh, but I was really, really impressed uh, with how they did the documentary, I thought it was very well done. Uh, but again, Michael Jordan, the ultimate competitor, the ultimate assassin, the ultimate fighter. And it's hard not to respect somebody that wants to win and is willing to do whatever it takes. So your leading rebounder comes up to you in the middle of a season and says, I got to get 48 hours in Vegas. I'm out. What, what do you say to him? Well, that would have you been handled that like Phil Jackson did. Or you <laughs> yeah, you know what? No, it, it's crazy, right? That's a tough. I don't know if we have the if we have the budget, our guys don't make enough money in their Pell to be able to go to Vegas, you know, for two days in the middle of the year. Maybe, maybe we're, we should be grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, but no, that was again, tough spot, but that's part of managing people, right? I mean, at yeah. every level you have those, 
know, those kind of guys, those kind of folks where you're going to have to, to deal with some things as they come up and, and try to make the best of it. So in your mind, looking through, I, I think they did a great job of encapsulating Jordan as an entirety. But what, what's a fascinating question is as great as Jordan was as a player, the Jordan brand may even be bigger than right. uh, than, than, than actual Jordan player. Which one do you think is, is a bigger bigger thing out there, Jordan the player or, or Jordan the brand? I think Jordan the player really obviously created and embodies Jordan the brand. Mm -hmm. But Jordan the brand is a worldwide logo, right? I mean, the Michael Jordan Jordan brand logo is something that you see. You can go to any country in the world, mm -hmm. and that's a recognizable symbol, right? I mean, that yep. and the Nike swoosh really hand in hand as – two things that you're going to recognize when you talk about the New York Yankee logo, things that you, you know, people know worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it's become something that, you know, even though people may not know Michael Jordan, the player now, right? I never, I mean, I was born in 1990. I saw Jordan, you know, at the end, I remember him playing on Leonard Hamilton's Washington Wizards team, right? But I don't, you know, I don't really remember his greatness. I mean, I, I probably really remember watching basketball. The first game I actually ever remember watching was the 1999 championship game between Duke and Connecticut. And that, but really that was after the whole Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan dominance, yeah. right? And growing up a, a Knicks fan, you know, that was kind of the only good memories I have of being a Knicks <laughs> fan growing up, right? But, yeah. you know, as far as the brand goes, I mean, it's, it's really amazing how it's taken off. Obviously it's, you know, worth many, many hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but again, that, it all started because to me, Michael Jordan was a guy, right? The be like Mike, people wanted to feed off of and be a part of a guy that was crazy competitive and crazy, crazy successful. No doubt. And kind of shifting down, you know, you talked about your, your start and beginnings and stuff. I have to ask you, who were your big influences to get into coaching? Great question. Well, Jamie, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So watching the two guys that were the big names in coaching where I grew up were Rick Pitino coaching Louisville and or we say Louisville if you're from Louisville yeah. and John Calipari coaching mm -hmm. Kentucky so I remember when John Calipari got the job it was a little bit later but you know I grew up Tubby Smith was coaching Kentucky like those guys for me were the guys that were really really close Rick Pitino was a guy that I always felt um, you know from a personality standpoint I try to be the best mix of everybody I've been around like when I was at Syracuse Mike Hopkins was really really good to me he's now the head coach at Washington coach Beheim, one of the, the mm -hmm. sharpest people to, to ever coach basketball really really Obviously, he's won, you know, almost a thousand games and an unbelievable, unbelievable Hall of Fame legend. Those, you know, those were people that I found one common, really commonality with was just their work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, now from from a standpoint of me as a head coach, you know, I've grown into someone that, you know, tries to be a, you know, a, a head coach that holds our guys accountable, that push, you know, is very much an aggressive, hard charging pusher to, to push guys to be the best version of themselves. But Guys like Rick Pitino, guys like John Calipari are guys that, you know, are really larger than life personalities when you grow up in, in the bluegrass state. No question. For me, again, though, I'll tell you this real quick. I'm, my first real experience with coaching basketball was my dad. My dad was coaching at Sacred Heart Model School when I was, I think I was second grade when he, when he took over the seventh and eighth grade role mm -hmm. uh, as the head coach. So I got to sit on the bench and be at practices. Obviously, I was playing. And then when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to coach two years at Sacred Heart Model School and two years at St. Martha in Louisville, Kentucky. So as a high school student, I was the head coach of a fifth and sixth and then seventh and eighth grade team. So really fortunate to have that opportunity to, to get indoctrinated into the coaching deal. And once I got into it, man, I fell in love. I fell hard. And, and you speak about growing up in Louisville, 
part of Kentucky. Kentucky has its own subculture of basketball almost. It's, it's almost like the state of Kentucky, especially high school basketball in, in Kentucky, is just like no other, no other, nowhere else. Right. Explain kind of what that atmosphere is like and what it's like growing up where, you know, in, in a state where the basketball coach is probably at a higher level than the football coach. Right. No, no question. Kentucky is a really unique and magical place. Every time I cross I-75 or I-64 and it says, welcome to the Bluegrass State, welcome to Kentucky, I get chills because it's home. It'll always be home. I was a, a high school coach in Kentucky for five years. I was a head coach for one year. I was an assistant for four. worked at, at Louisville Ballard, a historical program with Chris Renner. was fortunate enough to work for Shannon Weaver at Louisville Collegiate and then become the head coach there. Kentucky high school basketball, like you said, it's a very, very unique setting for people to come and just enjoy themselves. Similar to, to Friday Night Lights and, and high school football mm -hmm. in Texas, everybody knows what's happening. You know, when you, when you grow up in Louisville, the sixth and seventh region basketball, everybody knows what's going on, right? Everybody's tuned in. It's a really special, special experience because it unites everybody, right? We can disagree about Kentucky mm -hmm. or Louisville. We can disagree about, you know, Democrat or Republican, but we can all agree on the fact that Kentucky high school basketball, the state tournament at Rupp Arena, which used to be at Freedom Hall, is now at Rupp Arena, been there for a while. That is an unbelievable event because in Kentucky, we're the last state to have one high school champion, right? There's no classes. So Kentucky has six classes in football, but only one in basketball. There's one state champion, 64 districts with four or five teams that come into 16 regions. The Sweet 16 is played at Rupp Arena. Unbelievable experience. I was fortunate enough when I was at Ballard to be able to, to coach in the state tournament. Unbelievable to, to know that it's an event that's always going to bring people together. And it's something that really across our country, everybody at least knows about or has had some kind of experience with if you're a basketball person. And in doing my research on you, kind of your, your come up and all that kind of stuff, it's a very unconventional path. Um, as I see, you started off after graduating from Syracuse. Uh, you became a high school teacher and coach, and then you kind of went for three years to in the financial field. Right. What was right. that? Uh, what was that? Well, to be honest with you, you know, my, my parents paid a lot of money for my education. I went to private school from kindergarten through 12th grade. I went to Syracuse University, a, a prestigious school in the Northeast, went to the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications, got a degree in public relations, very proud of, of being a Newhouse grad at Syracuse. So there was certainly a little bit of pressure. Now, my parents have always been exceptionally supportive. They, they you know, are willing to support me. You know, Zach, do whatever you want. But when I was coaching high school, there was a part of me that said, you know what, if I can at least know that I've tried something else, because I knew I loved coaching, right? I knew I loved coaching, but there was a part of me going, you know, I can probably make a little bit more money, have a, a little bit of an easier life. Like when I was working at Northwestern Mutual, I was there a little under three years. Now, I was dating somebody that was significantly better looking than me. I drove a lot nicer car than I drive now. I, you know, I live in a lot nicer apartment than I live in now. So all these things were, were part of the financial advisor life mm -hmm. that, unfortunately for me, I just, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I was really after. It wasn't what I really wanted. So high school coach, had a, a really fortunate experience to be with Happy Osborne at Kentucky Wesleyan just for a summer as in a volunteer setting mm -hmm. and, and really learned the, the ins and outs of recruiting in college basketball. Happy Osborne was a guy that coach, get in the car, go see somebody face to face, look them in the eye and you got a great chance to get them. Right. So we've tried to do that here, but I just, I love coaching basketball. Obviously you don't get into this game to make a lot of money, right? I'm 
coaching junior college basketball. Thrilled to have the job that I have. Tallahassee is an amazing place. It's a top 10 JUCO job in the country. we got great support here. Our administration is very supportive. So I love being here. Every day I wake up, I get to come to the best college town in America. Mm-hmm. I get to coach a program where we've really gotten the momentum rolling. We've got some good players in the program. We placed nine guys in Division One. But as far as my story, it's crazy because I went from head high school coach in, in Louisville at Louisville Collegiate in 1718. I came to Tallahassee through a connection from Happy Osborne, who was the head coach at Kentucky Wesley. And Mark White hired me when he was the head coach at Tallahassee. Mark hired me as the second assistant in March. So March of 2018 came to Tallahassee as the second assistant within about a month and a half. He was like, Zach, you're, you're a wild man. You're crazy, right? We'll do whatever it takes, drive wherever, you know, stay on the phone, FaceTime till two in the morning, whatever it takes to, to get the guys that help us win. Mm -hmm. So he bumped me up to the first spot. And then my first year here, 18, 19 coach white stepped away during the middle of the year. I was named the interim head coach for the last nine games of the season. We had a, a really strong finish. We're fortunate to beat a couple good teams down the stretch. A good friend of mine, Steve DeMeo, was, was fortunate, or I guess I was fortunate. He was nice enough to let us beat them when they were ranked number one in the country on Saw right here, so that probably helped. Uh, but we were, we were really, really, I was, I was lucky just to be in a, a really good situation at the right time. And our administration was you know, willing to, to take a chance on the young guy. And fortunately for me to, to have, you know, the success as our program, we had the success that we had in year one to, to win 27 games and, and more importantly, graduate all 11 sophomores and have nine of them sign Division One. really a blessing to be a part of it. No doubt. And I wanted to jump into that a little bit more because that's, that's a crazy story. That, that, that first year is ridiculous. I want to jump into that in a second. But coming back off of the financial, you jump back into the high school, I guess that, that three years – you just got the itch. It's like, I'm a coach, you know, this money thing can go, I'm a coach. I'm going to do this right. thing. And, and right. So the first two years of the financial advisor role, I was coaching AAU, just mm-hmm. a small, they were called the Kentucky Kings, Kevin McLaughlin, who actually passed away last year, one of my best friends in the world. And his sons are, are unbelievable kids and Amy, his wife. I mean, we, you know, we feel for them because he uh, was one of the best people I've ever, ever dealt with in coaching. And so he was actually the guy, that kept me involved in coaching when I was otherwise trying to kick the habit, right? I left, you know, I left Kentucky Wesley and I moved home to start my own financial planning practice in 2014. Things were taking off. Things were going well. I had people at Northwestern Mutual in Louisville that were very, very supportive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dan Rivers, the managing partner of Northwestern Mutual still, I'm, I'm probably, Dan was so good to me, Jamie. And, and I was, I, I just couldn't kick the coaching thing, right? Mm-hmm. I could not find a way to get this coaching thing out of the blood. So I I stayed involved in AAU. My last year there, I took the high school assistant job and basically it totally, basically torpedoed any hope I had of having success in the financial planning world because all I thought about was basketball. All I wanted to do was basketball. And so I got out of of the Northwestern Mutual world, entered, you know, being the, the head coach at Louisville Collegiate for one year. And again, it just, it worked out, right? There's, there's no substitute for when you wake up in the morning. And I have so much respect for, for people that work in any, any industry and have success because there's, there's good and bad. There's pros and cons to everything. For me personally, I have so much joy, so much excitement every day when I wake up to come to work. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really genuinely proud to be the head coach here and, and glad that I've had the opportunity to interact with young people that hopefully we'll feel like we're, we're having an impact on getting them to the four-year level, you know, getting them, helping them get their associate's degree at Tallahassee. So crazy story, 
would you ever predict to go from out of coaching to being a head coach at a top 10 Juco in three years? Probably something that, you know, is, is not, uh, not common, but fortunate that it worked out for me. And then after that year at Louisville Collegiate, you, you come out, you, I guess you hop in on both feet. You come in as a second assistant. It, it, it was said in an article that I read that you were a volunteer assistant when you came on to Tallahassee. And make sure I get this timeline right. Um, you, you came in in March. Mm -hmm. then, you were high, then you were brought on as the full-time assistant in the first chairs in September, the interim head coach in January, and then the official head coach in March. That, that was right. your timeline of year one in college coaching. Pretty crazy, that's, right. I mean, what was that ride like? And, 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 and also, you're still under 30 at this point, too. So you sure. have all this kind of stuff happen to you. You're still under 30 years old. Take right. us through that year. Well, it was really hard, Jamie. It was really hard to leave Louisville Collegiate. We had brought some guys into the program that were exceptional young men, really enjoyed coaching each and every one of those guys. And I'm, I'm grateful. Chad Wozniak was the athletic director at Louisville Collegiate. Shannon Weaver was the guy that brought me into the Louisville Collegiate family. Those people were so, so good to me and everybody at Louisville Collegiate and the families that took a chance on giving Louisville Collegiate basketball, a program that didn't necessarily have the biggest name in, in high school basketball in, in the seventh region, giving us a chance, giving me a chance as a young head coach and giving the school a chance to say, hey, we can, we can be successful on the floor and in the classroom. It's, it's the best academic school in the state of Kentucky. So for us, it was a very quick ride to go from, I was assistant, worked for Shannon for a year, got the job in March of 2017, spent the entire summer really probably angering some Louisville high school coaches, other coaches who we were trying to get some guys into the program, right? And so when I got the job at Louisville Collegiate, it was just kind of everything we had, trying to have the best season we had. Won 23 games, set a school record, got to the All-A State Tournament at Eastern Kentucky University, won a game, had an, a magical, magical year. Mm -hmm. But when this opportunity came, Happy Osborne called me in late February, right after our season ended at Collegiate. He said, Zach, you still want to coach college basketball? And at the time, I was really knee-deep in the Louisville Collegiate experience. We were building it. We were, you know, really, we went 23-8. and eight. We were going to take another step forward in the following year. But the allure of coaching college certainly has always been in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that in college, as a head coach and as an assistant, like you're, you're coaching guys that really are very serious about their future, can see the fact that basketball is a vehicle and a ticket to an education, right? It's not just an extracurricular activity that we're doing to, to have fun. It's a chance for me to get a bachelor's degree. For many of our guys at Tallahassee Community College, our guys are the first young man to graduate from college in their family. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I really knew all along I wanted to coach college. The opportunity came up to, to work for Mark White, who's had a lot of success at the junior college level, went to Hutch four years in a row at East Mississippi, came to Tallahassee. Coach White taught me so much about coaching defense, about running a program, having culture and accountability. And he was, you know, very honest with me. He's like, Zach, I just need somebody that's hungry, that really wants to work hard, that's willing to drive anywhere in recruiting and, and you know, maintain a presence on social media and make sure that we're, you know, promoting the program, promoting the Tallahassee brand. So when I got in, I was the second assistant. I lived on Coach White's couch for the first four months and I was in Tallahassee. And then I, I moved up to the, to the bedroom. I live with Coach, Coach White and I actually lived together for the year I was my first year. So crazy story, right? I go from head coach, second assistant. I came as a volunteer. I don't think I got paid for five or six months. He bumps me up and I'm always, again, grateful for that. Got, you know, the, the first assistant spot. I think I started to get paid in August or September. Mm -hmm. Obviously excited about that. 
And, but coach white and I were, were best friends. I mean, we lived together. We, it was nonstop basketball, you know, it was, it was nonstop Tallahassee. How do we make this the best program it can be in the Panhandle conference? So, you know, when coach decided to walk away, the things moved very quickly. You know, I went from the crazy, again, crazy story. When I was the head coach at Louisville collegiate in August, before the, before our season started, August of 2017, I went to Atlanta to, to a clinic and Steve DeMeo, the head coach at Northwest Florida State at the time, spoke at the clinic. So Steve was the last guy to talk. And so we, we got together. I watched his, his speech at the clinic. He did a great job. And we had dinner after that. I went up to Coach DeMeo, so much respect for the job you've done at Northwest Florida State. You're a national champion. You've done these great things. And, and Coach DeMeo had been at Iona and Providence and Hofstra and had success. So we had dinner after that and really just built a friendship. So we went from, we kept in touch all year. When I got the job, my first exposure to junior college basketball was the state tournament, which was at the time was at College of Central Florida in Ocala. I watched my very first junior college basketball game I ever watched was Steve DeMeo's Northwest Florida State Raiders against Palm Beach, uh, who Martin McCann does a great job. He's the head coach at Daytona State now. Mm-hmm. So great game. Watched the, the entire first day of, of, uh, of action there and really kind of got to know, okay, these are the names in junior college. I watched Chipola rally back from 20 down to beat Eastern Florida in the first round and, and got to know the Chipola brand and, and the meaning, you know, of, of the Chipola brand and, and how, you know, impactful the, the Panhandle Conference is and, and junior college basketball as a whole and in Region 8. You know, really just got to know some people in junior college and, you know, fast forward a year later and now I'm being named the head coach. I mean, just to, to be, but to kind of tie that story back. So the very first game, I'm the interim head coach. I'm staring down the bench and Steve DeMeo, Northwest Florida State, ranked number one in the country. Is, is at the other side of the floor. So just a crazy story to go from watching Coach DeMeo in a clinic to coaching against him, you know, in a very short amount of time later was certainly something that is a made-for-Hollywood deal. I'm grateful just to have been in this position uh, that I was, and, and Tallahassee's been, been so good to me and, and our program as a whole. And then looking back at last year, y'all finished 27-6. and six. You sent uh, nine guys to college all over the country, all over the Division I landscape. When you look back on the season, how do you feel that it went? Jamie, I'm really, really proud of everything we accomplished. I mean, is it great to win 27 games and get the program's first outright Panhandle Conference Championship since 2001? Yes. Amazing accomplishment. I told Rob Chaney, hey, if we don't win the Panhandle Conference in year one, you can fire me. And I said that in my interview. And, you know, to win 27, which was a a record for a first-year head coach, and we swept the postseason awards. L. Ellis was named freshman of the year. He was named player of the year. Tariq Silver was named newcomer of the year. They gave our coaching staff that the trophy's got my name on it, but it's a, it's a staff award. We were named coach of the year. So that was all great. But for us, the reality is graduating 11 sophomore transfers, all at a 2.8 GPA or above. They were all Division One eligible. You got to have a 2.5 and graduate with your associates to be Division One eligible. Mm-hmm. That is what really separates and differentiates top-level junior college programs, and that's what I'm so proud of because I know that there are other junior college programs that place guys in Division One, and there are a lot of junior college coaches that are unbelievable. They're they're going to be great in Division One. It's such a great level to learn and and really explore and experiment and figure out who you are as a coach and who you want to be and, and grow. But for me, the end, at the end of the day, our administration at Tallahassee is worried about, do we place guys in Division I? Mm-hmm. Do we graduate our guys with Division I eligibility? And do we graduate them, period? Are they going on to the four-year level? Because not everybody's going to play Division I. Of the 11 sophomore 
graduates or two of them. So the nine that were sophomores are all signed division one. The other two are actually redshirt freshmen. Yeah. So they could end up in division one or they could, so that they, you know, we could potentially have 10 or 11 guys signed division one, or they could, you know, choose to go to division two right now or do another year of junior college to improve their recruitment. But mm-hmm. all 11 of those guys are going to continue to play scholarship college basketball next year. And for me, do the awards and recognition and the wins and going to Hutch for the first time since 2011. All those things are great. But the reality for me is knowing that we did right by our guys academically and we put them, you know, in a position to be associates, you know, to have a degree an associate's degree and to move on to the four year level and earn a bachelor's degree and have somebody pay for it. And that's really what our level is about. Mm -hmm. And then looking through your team stats, your guys assisted on 507 out of 944 field goals. That's 54%. Uh, you shot 40% from three as a team while averaging 81 points per game. What would you say the main keys are to your offensive philosophy? Great question, Jamie. First off, Mark White, the head coach of Tallahassee before me, was a big-time defensive-minded coach. And I learned a lot from Coach White on how to coach defense. And we, you know, the great thing about scoring 81 a game that that's great but we only gave up 64 a game which was you know top 10 in the country of the teams that were you know playing in hutch and we had a lot of success defensively but i really like to coach offense right when you walk in the gym the thing up on the wall it's a scoreboard right it's not a defense board it's a scoreboard so we like to score we like to coach offense we like to as coach white said recruit offense and coach defense you know i was I probably did a better job of recruiting offense and, and not nearly as good a job as, as, as coach and defense this past year. But for us, we really, really like to have guys that understand that winning basketball is not about individual scoring. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of guys that took chances on us as a program, took chances on me as a, as a early, you know, a young first time head coach. So but we got guys in recruiting and we worked very hard. We drove many, many tens of thousands of miles across the country to find the right guys that fit our program and how we wanted to play. But our philosophy on offense is keep the ball hot. The ball can't stick. You should never dribble the ball more than three times in the front court. If you can't get somewhere in three dribbles, you're, you're not going anywhere. So keep the ball hot. We just tried to be a team that understood, one, we're really hard to guard with as many offensive weapons as we had. We're hard to guard if the ball is going to get to, going to continue to move mm-hmm. and we're not going to have guys that feel like they have to make individual plays to be successful. And I think from, you know, top to bottom, all nine that signed division one. And then the guy that obviously led us in scoring, who was player of the year, freshman of the year, L Ellis, he was a guy that set the tone for not just being a score first guy. He was a facilitator. He's a great true point guard. The reason his recruitment took off in my opinion was not because he was a great scorer or a great shooter. He is both of those things but because he knows how to be a college point guard. He knows certainly how to, how to run a team, how to get a team into offense, and he developed. I mean, that really happened here. But as far as offensive philosophy, Jamie, we try to focus on finding elite, exceptional shooters, guys that can really, really make shots, and guys that can pass. I think passing is a lost art in college basketball today. If you're not recruiting guys that can pass, you're going to have a hard time scoring consistently unless you just have such elite quick guards or guys that you, know, you can throw the ball up there and they're just going to go get it. So we were not a great rebounding team. We were not the, the toughest team in the world, but we were a team that had great offensive skill, that played together, that shared the ball, and we executed offense at a really high level. And then you brought up L. Ellis. Um, obviously, he, he led you all in scoring and assists last year. He shot 40% from three. What all can you tell us about L as a, as a player and, and, and as, a, yeah, as a player and a prospect? 
the one thing that separates L Ellis and L was the very first guy that I did a home visit with when I was the interim head coach and L and I have a great relationship. We're very close because L was the first guy to really just believe in the vision that we were setting out for, for Tallahassee basketball. So when I was the interim head coach the night before, ironically enough, the night before I coached my first game as the interim head coach before we played Northwest Florida state on that Wednesday night, I was in L Ellis's living room. I drove back, you know, we, we are not a program that's going to win with guys that think they're bigger than our own situation, our whole, our whole deal. So L is a guy that's humble and he's very, very hungry. When I first got to know him, I said, L, what really matters to you? What are you after? And he said, coach, you know, I want to use basketball to make my mom's life better, to make my family's life better. Cause L doesn't come from a ton. You know, he, our side drive in, in Durham, North Carolina, you know, when I was, I mean, it's, it's not, some glorious, lavish, luxurious place. He comes from very little. His mother, Tasha, unbelievably hardworking, sweet, caring woman. And she's worked very hard to have the best possible life for her sons. And he's going to continue for his kids and hopefully his family make their life better through basketball. So what sets El apart is his hunger and his, his humility because he understands, I mean, he's, he's blown up, right? He's got Texas Tech and Oregon and Louisville and Texas A&M and Connecticut and Iowa State and Nebraska and Ole Miss and all these people calling. And, you know, the, the reality for him is he's not a guy that we have to struggle to get his head through the door because he's blown up. He's humble. He understands that he's on a mission. It's not just Tallahassee basketball. No, it's a much bigger picture trying to think beyond the next 15 minutes. He understands he controls his own destiny. When he chooses to get in the gym and be in the weight room and work on his game, those are things that help him not only help his game, but improve big picture, his family's life long-term. So L is a great player because he's competitive because he wants to win. He's coachable. You know, I've coached him hard. We've had our moments, but because he understands that big picture Tallahassee is a place that our culture is one of accountability and we hold our guys accountable all the time. And he's really bought into the fact that coach Zach and our coaches, our staff, they're not here to tell me how great I am. They're not here to just get me to the next level. They're here to tell me the truth every day. And that's what our program is. We are a truth-telling, nonstop, aggressive, hard-charging. This is what we are. We're going to be the best version of ourselves every time we step on the floor. And we want to be the best. I mean, again, Tallahassee had been a really strong, solidly above-average program that, that had some success. But Northwest Florida State, prior to this year, had won the conference five years in a row. Chipola, that's got a great name in, in junior college basketball, has only been to Hutch one time since 2009 because of the success of Northwest Florida State. So Tallahassee was a program that we wanted to establish as a panhandle power. We wanted to establish the brand nationally. We wanted to be the elite program in the country. When people think junior college basketball, they think Tallahassee. And that's what we've done so far. We've tried to be as active as we can on social media. And L has been a very large driving force in that because not only his the offers that he's that he's attained but because of his personality he understands the ability to market himself to market our program every time he does an interview you see he's in TCC basketball gear and that's that's intentional we want to make sure that no matter what people are going to associate Tallahassee basketball at the junior college level with being the elite junior college program in the country the program that's going to place more division 1 guys you know more guys in division 1 every single year and a program that's going to get to the national tournament, have success, and graduate its players. And we've done all that so far. 
And that's our plan to be able to continue to establish the Tallahassee brand and have guys continually like L be someone that represents our program on a national stage. And then I guess staying on L for just for a second longer, how would you say he has most improved from the second he stepped on campus to, to current day? Great question, Jamie. First off, L has been a very, very coachable guy. When he got here, he came from QEA, played for Isaac Pitts at Quality Education Academy in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They've had a lot of good players come from QEA. Coach Pitts does a great job. Another guy that holds this guy's accountable, that coaches this guy's heart. L came here, though, as a scoring mentality point guard. And we have tried to transition him to say, hey, score when you can score, score when it's there, but understand that Tariq Silver and DeAndre Golston and Rifen Miguel and Yael Hill and Eric Hester and Jordan Guest and DeAndre Robinson and Kalex Stevens, all these guys can really, really, really play. So make sure that we're getting the best shot we can get on every possession. So he's really matured as a college point guard and he's matured as being coachable because we had friction. We had our moments. He didn't start eight games this year. We had 33 games. He didn't start the first six. He started, then he went backwards a little bit. He sat a game. You know, we had to, he, the first conference game, he, we, had our, we had a moment, and he didn't start the first conference game mm -hmm. against Chipola, which was a huge win for us to start the conference here. So, but he, again, was not fighting coaching. There were times where he had to, you know, we all, again, we learn through failure. We, we talk about and we brag about here, like, use your failure. You know, use your failure as building blocks to success. Don't be, don't be daunted or, or disheartened by failure. Use the failure to learn and continue to grow and be successful. So L's a very coachable young man. He's very respectful. Our administration here loves him. He's got a great relationship with everybody here in the Tallahassee Community College community. But for, for him to come here and really receive coaching, because, again, he had 40 in the Josh Level Classic. He was a name. He didn't have any crazy offers. He had Southern and Kennesaw State and Charleston Southern and Eastern Kentucky. No crazy offers coming out of high school, and he's obviously blown up since being here. But he is really taken to being coached hard. He's taken to being someone that wants to be a guy that's in the gym, that's leading others, that's setting the bar for, hey, I'm going to be in the gym at 10 o'clock at night. Why aren't you? And that motivates people because guys are, are looking for leadership. Certainly, peer-to-peer -peer leadership is, is so crucial. L's been a really good teammate, and we're excited for him and everybody else. Asante Price, Georgia Tech transfer, we've brought in a lot of guys. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But we've brought guys here that want to be really, really good. And yeah. L has been one guy that it's taken to the Tallahassee way of being the best version of yourself every day, being crazy competitive, being aggressive. We, we really push our guys to be ambitious and aggressive and want the best. Be selfish. When you step on the court to do individual workouts, be selfish. Use every minute with the coaches that are in the gym. Really want to be the best version of yourself. And again, we talked about the MJ documentary earlier. Mm -hmm. Guys that are successful are workers. Everybody at the highest level is an athlete. Everybody's got God-given ability. The guys that are willing to do the things that it takes are the reasons why ultimately they have their success. And uh, I'm going to get to the recruits here in a second that you got coming in. But you, you touched on something that I wanted to bring up. I was talking to Eric Musselman yesterday for the, for the podcast as well. And he seemed to really master the social media marketing side of basketball while also coaching, having fun, and, and winning games and stuff too. You bring that up. You've brought that up multiple times here. So I wanted to, to get with you a little bit about the social media marketing side of things. It's kind of this new age thing of basketball that um, people are taking advantage of. How do you see that being an advantage, and, and, and how do you all use social media and stuff to kind of enhance what you're doing? 
Well, number one, the thing we want to do more than anything is promote our players. And mm -hmm. at the junior college level, for us, it's about our players. Tallahassee is a player-centric program. We are always going to be a player's program first. Everything we do here is about the individual, the individual success. Now, as a group, as a team, certainly at Tallahassee, we want to win the national championship and win the panhandle and have great success. And that's all really, really good. But it's about our individual guys. It's about those guys representing Tallahassee. And when they, when Elle's on ESPN and Tariq Silver's playing on the Pac-12 network and ESPN next year and everybody that's playing at the Division One level next year, all nine guys, when they're on TV, you know, and you hear, you know, Rife and Miguel, DeAndre Golson, Yael Hill comes from Tallahassee Community College. You know, those are things we want to associate mm -hmm. the hard work, the, the accountability, the work ethic that, that we've tried to instill in our guys here. And social media, we just, again, continue to try to wrap it all together. Everything we do is a part of the overarching goal to get our guys to Division One and get our guys graduated. So for us at our level, because there's no big-time JUCO coverage on ESPN or FS1, our games are not being broadcasted nationwide. So we feel like we have to do the best job of really informing the basketball public and the high school, prep school, AAU community of what Tallahassee Community College and what junior college basketball as a whole is and what it can do for somebody. I think sometimes junior college gets a stigma of, well, you only go to junior college if your grades aren't very good, or you only go to junior college if you got in trouble, or you had an issue, or you didn't, like, there's all kinds of reasons guys end up in junior college. But for us, we try to really get our guys to understand that every time you step on the floor, every time you send out a tweet or post a photo on Instagram, or go on Instagram Live, or like a tweet, or whatever it is, that is something that you're building your brand. You are building your basketball profile, and we want our guys to understand that it's so much bigger than basketball. When people are recruiting you at the Division One level, these guys, right, at the Division One level, these guys, their career, their livelihood, their family's livelihood depends on winning and losing. Mm -hmm. And as great as academic success is, and having an impact in the community, all of those things are crucial. They're really important and, and they matter here. We're out in the community a lot here. But at the end of the day, basketball coaches are hired and fired based on wins and losses because people have to come to the games. They have to show up. They have to watch you on TV. They have to, to come to, to alumni events. They have to give money. I mean, all these things go into overall a program success. So for us, we try to get our guys to understand that your brand matters. And as a program, our brand matters. So the way we want to be recognized in the community, basketball and non-basketball is a program that one, promotes our players, two, promotes an atmosphere of accountability, of hard work, of doing things the right way, of being the program that is willing and the coaching staff that is willing to do what other people are not willing to do in recruiting, which is if that means drive 21 hours to see Devin Palmer when I first got the job, who had a great year at NC Central this year, when I was you know, making no money, that was what it takes. And it takes what it takes. So as far as social media goes, we just want to brand ourselves as the program that is willing and, and really able to promote our guys, get them to Division I, help our guys graduate with Division I eligibility, 2-5 or above, 60, 48, 60 credit hours, 48 transferable, get your Associates of Arts, and boom, you're into Division I. So social media, I think, is a very powerful tool. I know there are coaches that go, well, just, you know, show, do the work and it will show. No question. And we, we do do the work, right? So we're not, we're not promoting something that's not real. Everything we promote on social media is real. Mm 
everything we do every day, say, we say we're the hardest working program, the hardest working coaching staff, and we compete harder and practice every day. All those things are real. Ask any of the guys that were in the program. When you step between the lines in our practice, it's a war zone. It's a competitive war zone. And you've got to bring it every day. Because when you got nine guys signing Division One and, and 11 total and a freshman that's got every high major offer in the country, practice, I mean, we 10 can play in practice, five can play in the game. Yeah. So our guys got to understand when I when I come to Tallahassee, I'm choosing to play in the most talented, most competitive, premier junior college program in the country. Mm -hmm. And if I want to do that, I know I'm going to be in the position to be recruited at a very high level. I might not score as much as I can at other schools. I might not take as many shots as I can at other schools. But I know that 300 plus Division One schools are going to watch me play. We're going to recruit, you know. Guys are, at that level are going to recruit this program, and we are going to promote those guys on social media as much as we can. Because that's, again, that's what it's about, helping our guys get to the next level. And we'll do whatever it takes to help them do that. And then looking toward next year, I believe you've, only, you've had seven already signed coming in next year. Uh, three Division I transfers, uh, Cam Brooke Harris from Marshall, Sean Walker Jr. from Georgia, Washington, and Asante Price from Georgia Tech. You have two uh, JUCO transfers. Uh, Motep, George, and Willie LaPoole, and then two high school guys, uh, Ian Hardy and Christian Hampton. What can you tell us of your expectations? Um, there are some very familiar names to me that I really, really like. What can you tell me about the expectations that you have for these seven coming in? Great question. For us, you know, of all the guys, because actually there was a couple more I should have mentioned to you, but for all the guys – Jamie, that come into this program, they understand because they've been told the truth in recruiting. We have not promised anybody a starting position. We have not promised anybody a required amount of minutes. We tell our guys, look, here's the role we see you in. This is what we feel like you're capable of producing and, and helping us with. And this is what that's going to do for you if you come and produce, right? Davon Stevens, an Eastern Michigan transfer, averaged 4.8 points a game and assigned at Coastal Carolina to play for Cliff Ellis, Hall of Famer, fifth mm -hmm. acting I think fifth winning is coach, acting coach right now behind Coach Beheim, Coach K, Roy Williams, um, you know, Coach Huggins, and then it's Coach Ellis, right? So playing for a Hall of Famer, 4.8 points a game. You don't have to score crazy. Yael Hill, 6.3 points a game, is going to go play at Cleveland State for Dennis Gates, who is Horizon Coach of the Year at year one. Is going to be a big-time, big-time coach for a long time in Division One. Had a lot of success at, at Florida State. So everybody – you know, DeAndre Robinson played 16 games, averaged three points a game. He scored 48 points the entire season, going to play at Idaho for a program that's an up-and-comer. Zach Kloss just got the job. They're going to be really good in the big sky. So everybody in our program, you know, had numbers that may not necessarily have been as good. Calix Stevens was Peach Belt freshman of the year at Francis Mary and averaged 14 a game. Came here and averaged eight and is going to Indiana State. Calix is a killer. DeAndre Golston hardly played at all at Kent State. Came here, second-team all-conference guy. Tariq Silver, three points a game in Eastern Michigan. Came here, 12 points a game, going to Oregon State. Rifen Miguel, five points a game in College of Central Florida, zero recruitment. Came here, 7.8 points a game, Ohio University. So all of these guys that came, Jordan Guest, Boston University, five points a game, eight here, bounces to Division One. Every single guy that came into the program really resurrected not necessarily their basketball career because a lot of guys came and didn't play, and we had, you know, Division Two guys played a lot, so they played less here. Everybody came in at a different situation and a different level but they understood that all I've got to do is be the best version of myself, right? Play hard every day in practice. There are coaches in our gym every single day in practice. Guys want to recruit this program because they know they're being coached hard. They know they're being academically held accountable. So it's the same for these guys coming in. It's going to be no different. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to come at them hard every day in practice. We're going to be 
very, very aggressive in how we coach our guys to be the best version of themselves. So top to bottom, JUCO transfer, D2 transfer, D1 transfer, high school guy, wherever you're coming from, prep school, it doesn't matter to us. We know, and our guys know, we're going to play the best guys. L. Ellis last year, it took him till the seventh game to be a starter, right? Mm -hmm. And people go, well, Coach Zach, you're an idiot, right? Maybe you didn't know what you had. Well, maybe, right? But also, we were trying to get L to be the best version of himself and create a profile for himself of being a college point guard, not just a scorer. So when he bought in and he started to really accept the coaching and learn what we were looking for and what we needed, it took off for him. And he became the starter and we gave him the keys and obviously it worked out really well for him. So everybody we're bringing into the program has a chance to be very successful from top to bottom. Division one guys, I mean, Cam Brooks Harris from Marshall, Asante Price, Sean Walker. Uh, we, we've got really good players that we feel like can be very, very successful at the Division One level. But through all that, the reality is, big picture, guys got to feel and grasp that they have to be where their feet are. And right now, their feet are at Tallahassee. They're coming to be coached and play in a program that has aspirations of winning the national championship 100%. We're going to win the Panhandle Conference again. But the reality is, big picture for them, be the best version of yourself. Understand that you got to compete every day. And then the Division One coaches, the looks, the exposure, that will all come because that's already been proven that it will. Our guys just got to come in, compete, and work their butt off. Um, so looking forward with this, all this NCAA stuff, it looks like there's a really good possibility they're going to pass the one-time transfer rule mm -hmm. um, next year, not this coming year and all that kind of stuff. How do you think that all this stuff with the NCAA rules and all that stuff is going to affect JUCO basketball? Great question. I think there will be some guys that leave as freshman transfers after next year that do end up back in Division One instead of junior college. I think that's likely. However, I still think with because that one-time transfer rule is going to pass, I think it'll be a little bit crazy in year one with so many guys going into the portal. So there's going to be guys that fall through the cracks. There's going to be high school guys that qualify that don't get the looks because Division One schools and junior colleges, even us, we're focused on trying to find transfers, trying to get old and stay old. So there's always going to be guys that slip through the cracks, whether you're a, you know, we, we plan at Tallahassee on being the program that's going to get the best non-qualifiers every year. L. Ellis was the best non-qualifier in the country. Mm -hmm. Taj Anderson this year, a guy we've signed that I forgot to mention, Quality Education Academy, Christian Hampton from Northwest Guilford, two of the best non-qualifiers in the country. And those are the guys we're, we're always going to go after the one or two best non-qualifiers in the country that we can you know, ultimately get involved with. And then as far as the transfers, we don't, for us, there's going to be JUCO transfers. There's going to be division two transfers that have numbers in division two that they may not get the looks. I mean, if you look at our division two guys, the three division two transfers we took, Yael Hill scored 14 points a game for a 28 win West Liberty team, 14 for a 28 win team came here, scored six points a game, less than half of what he scored in division two and is going to Cleveland state. Who's going to be in position to win the horizon league very, very soon. Mm -hmm. Calix Stevens came, was Peach Belt Freshman of the Year, had very little Division I recruitment coming out of Division II, even when he went in the portal, came to Tallahassee, signed early to Indiana State, averaged eight points a game, a little over half of what he averaged in Division II. DeAndre Robinson, 14 a game at Wheeling Jesuit, three points a game at Tallahassee, going to Division I. So there are always going to be transfers that need the exposure of Tallahassee Community College because, again, not every junior college is created equally. And there are a lot of junior college coaches – in regions that don't get the same exposure that are great, right? I, I mean, I could name tens and ten, like lots and lots of coaches 
that I know that are fantastic that are at junior colleges in South Carolina or Oklahoma or Louisiana or wherever it is that may not get the exposure of the Florida junior colleges that, that we do here because we're in the Panhandle Conference. It's a great league, a lot of big-time names from Poland, Northwest Florida. So you've got big names and, and people that are going to be here. So for us, we just try to find the best guys. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's always going to be a situation we just got to got to you know find find the guys that want to play in a very competitive mm -hmm. and then so transitioning a little bit i want to talk about hutch the tournament i've never been everybody says it's, it's awesome the, the atmosphere the environment every, everybody says it's, it's it's on kind of a bucket list for basketball junkies to to attend and go to and all that kind of stuff kind of explain what that is and the environment and atmosphere surrounding that tournament jamie great question Hard for me to answer, though, because this would have been our first trip to Hutch this year, and we didn't get to go. The, yeah. the day before we were supposed to get on the bus, the, the tournament was postponed and then eventually canceled. So but I've never that, been. With that, do you play the what-if game, looking back on, on, on everything this, this, this past year, the successes? Do you, do you sit down and like, oh, what, what would have been? No question. Jamie, I think every coach can say, well, we had a great draw, and we loved how we were playing at the time, and we felt like we had a chance to win the whole thing. The reality is I try not to play. I try not to play. I feel really bad for the guys, the 11 guys that graduate and don't get a chance to do it next year. As coaches, we get a chance to come back and do the whole thing over. It's really hard for our guys, you know, and I feel badly for them because Hutch is a once in a lifetime experience. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable exposure opportunity to play in front of all these division one coaches, to play in front of very passionate fans in Hutchinson, Kansas, in the state of Kansas that supports junior college athletics and junior college basketball specifically. It's a great event. I've heard it's unbelievable. I can't wait to go this year. No doubt. Uh, so I guess further than that, with the excitement and everything, Juco kind of gets a bad rap surrounding, I don't want to say a bad rap, but there's some negative connotations and all that kind of stuff. As you said before, people who don't qualify all go there, or people got in trouble go there and all that kind of stuff. But I think that we've kind of uncovered a little bit throughout here, everybody's situation is different. And while there are some non-qualifiers to go, people who maybe want more exposure, people who want to boost, uh, you know, who, who don't like where the, what they have currently and want to boost their stock and all that kind of stuff go there. What do you say kind of to the naysayers of Juco basketball about the positives that come from it? I think I would just tell folks to look at the results. There are going to be 350, maybe more, Division One signees in the 2020 class that come from junior college. So at this point, it looks like more than 30% of Division I signees are going to be coming from junior college this year. So the proof is really in the pudding, right? I mean, you can see how many guys have had success at this level. And junior college is a place where the competition level is extraordinary, especially in our league every single night. I mean, Northwest Florida was 0-12 last year, didn't win a game in our conference, and still had, I think, four or five guys signed Division One. So the league that we play in, the league, the Region 8 that, you know, Florida Southwestern had a lot of guys signed Division One. Eric Murphy does a great job. I mean, this is, this is a really competitive region. Junior college basketball is there – there are junior college teams at the top that I would tell you would have a lot of success – against the best teams in Division Two and the teams, you know, the, the low major teams in Division One, And that's no knock on anybody. I just think the talent level in the, the very highest level of junior college is extraordinary. And I think people need to understand that, one, academics are a priority. You know, we have academic advisors here on call to help our guys. There's nothing that Division One programs have that we don't have. Now, their stuff might be a little nicer, their training table, their, you know, their training room, their film room, it might be a little, the, the leather might be a little newer on the chairs, 
the, you know, the, the weight room may have, you know, weights that are a year or two uh, newer, but the reality is everything at the highest level of junior college is available here to the best players. And I think if you look at all the guys that have had success in junior college, and then when they go to division one and have the same level of success, I don't, I think it's hard to knock this level. Again, there's so many great coaches. There's so many hungry, hungry young coaches that are really learning and getting into things. Again, if you're thinking, should I be a GA or a Dobo or an assistant Dobo director of player development and not be on the court in division one, or I can go to junior college and be an assistant and do everything. You deal with financial aid and make sure you're monitoring academics, doing individual workouts and being in the weight room and doing film and doing live scouting. All the things that go into being a great coach, the great thing about this level is you get to do all those things. So when you get your opportunity to be an assistant coach in Division One, you're ready. You can do it. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's just say that I'm, I don't know anything about Tallahassee Community College and I'm walking through during a practice. What is one thing you can guarantee that me having no knowledge of any players or anything like that, what is one thing you can guarantee that you will see during that practice walking through Tallahassee Community College? The competition level, the intensity level, the fire level that all of our staff is coaching with is going to be very readily and immediately apparent. We are going to coach our guys passionately. And we're going to push them to be the very best version of themselves every single day. I'm a, again, I'm an aggressive really intense and, and intentionally intentionally pushing like I, I really want our guys to understand that being great is not easy easy if it was everybody would do it so for us our guys when you watch practice you're going to see really high level competition we keep scoring everything because it's about winning because we want our guys to have the mentality that hey if you're not winning this then you're running period right so everything we do I know there are other coaches out there that they don't want to keep score because Guys get, you know, too caught up in the scoring you're trying to do. And, and I think there's certainly some truth in that at times. But we want our guys to understand that we're trying to. When we play full court one-on-one -on -one in practice, I want our guys to embarrass their starting Because we're going to try to make them better do that. Nobody wants to get scored on. Nobody wants to have their doors blown off and be chasing a guy 70 feet up the court. So, again, we want our guys to be competitive. And, and when coaches walk in the gym, they know that our staff is going to hold our players accountable. And they're going to be recruiting players that know how to be coached, that are willing to be coached, and understand what it's like to play in a program that's got strong culture and culture that's about the group and the collective and the whole versus the individual. And then kind of wrapping things up a little bit here, it's, it's a two-part question. A little unorthodox might be putting you on the spot here to think, but uh, want to get your thoughts here. You've had a unique journey so far, and you're so young and stuff. There's a great journey to come. Let's say you're writing a book, and you have to title your previous 10 years the book and then a separate book and you have to title the next 10 years of the book. What would those two titles be? The first title for the previous 10 years would be there's no growth without suffering. And I said that earlier, but when you're in your twenties, really figuring out who you are and what you want to be personally had two serious girlfriends decided that I needed to make the leap and commitment to jumping hundred percent into coaching. Was it the right move to, to move forward and, and not be with somebody that, that was great because I wanted to coach, well, we'll see, time will tell, right? But for me, I failed a lot. I failed in financial planning. Dan Rivers, the, the managing partner at Northwestern Mutual, went out of his way to be great to me. I had a lot of people there that were really, really good. And I just didn't, I couldn't really bring myself to be locked in and do the best job I could. So I got back into coaching. I knew I wasn't gonna fail because failure is not an option. When I walk into practice every day, we tell our guys, you're a Juco sophomore. Failure is not an option. 
So you can be mad. You can, oh, coaches, what's he on today, right? All those things are great. you got to make it. you got to figure it out. There's no other option. Your back's against the wall. College coaches are the same way. you got to have success. We have to represent ourselves with class, with integrity, with dignity. And, again, we're not going to be outworked. But I learned a lot in my 20s, the last 10 years, that it's okay to fail, that you've got to learn from failure and use it to propel you to be better. And if you're constantly searching for individual improvement, and if you're honest with yourself, I mean, I'm really self-aware, and I have shortcomings. There have been many times where my Zach, I'd love to be able to go back and do that over, right? I realize I'm, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've had to apologize, and I'm okay apologizing because at the end of the day, I know what I'm after, and I know on the inside that I'm a very hard worker, hard worker that's in it for the right reasons that would do whatever it takes to help our guys be successful. So for the next 10 years, I would tell you the sky's the limit because ultimately for our program, that's how I feel. Right now, I'm the head coach of Tallahassee Community College, and every day when I walk into our office, Every ounce of our energy as a staff is focused on making this program the absolute best junior college program in the country. And we're doing that. So for us, there's no ceiling. I don't really, you know, people say, well, Tallahassee can only be this, or, you know, that's going to be hard to sustain. Why? Who says? Right? There's no reason we can't be the, the best. And we're going we're gonna to pursue being the best every single day. So for us, for me personally, the next 10 years, right now, you know, I, I had a really wise man tell me, don't worry about the grass being greener elsewhere. Make the grass green up from under you. Make the grass green around you. And that's what we're focused on doing here. So my mentality is every day, be the best. We want to be the best. We make no bones. We are not. It's not a secret. We're trying to be the absolute best at our level. And wherever I am personally is, you know, I'm going to try to inspire and push and, and aggressively pursue absolute best for everyone around me. And our assistant coaches, we got super great coaches right now. TJ Cox, Bryce Garris, Noah Croak. Noah Croak, who was here last year, was phenomenal. Jordan Talley and Ben Manabal have moved on and moved up. Uh, again, which is what happens in junior college. Same for players. It's the same for Ben Manabal going to Lander, uh, Division Two to work with Omar Watad, who just got the job and will do a great job. Jordan Talley is going to Mississippi State. They were phenomenal here this year. Noah Croak left a $32,000 job uh, to take a significant pay cut to come here. He was offered a Division One assistant job this year, turned it down to stay and make less than the money he was offered there. Because, again, these, these guys are bought in what this program is going to be, the trajectory of, of everybody's career and what we're trying to accomplish in being the best. Everybody's bought in. They want to be a part of it. And I think when you're successful, people understand that it's not – you're not lucky to be successful. You have to win by working hard. You have to win by being willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. So we focus on, again, being honest, being self-aware, always telling the truth in recruiting, and never, ever apologizing for being willing to work as hard or harder than anybody else that we're competing against. Absolutely. Zach, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, that was awesome. Really, really good stuff. And, and I appreciate you taking some time and, 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 and spending it with me to, to go through it. Sounds great. Jamie, thanks for having thanks. me, man. And absolutely. Guys, thank you all very much for tuning in to the Absolute Basketball Podcast. For Zach Setembre, I'm Jamie Shaw. We'll see you next time.